Hello and welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm Sherry Hoyt and I'm your host. Today I'm talking with Diane Pomerantz, author of Lost in the Reflecting Pool, a memoir and psychological love story about one woman's struggle to survive and break free of a relationship with a man incapable of caring about anyone beyond himself. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Diane. Dr. Diane Pomerantz is a clinical psychologist who has been in practice working with children, adolescents, and adults in the Baltimore, Maryland area for over 35 years. She has done extensive work in the area of trauma and child abuse and research in the area of personality development of abused children. She currently runs healing through writing groups in her practice. She is a breast cancer survivor and has two wonderful grown children. She and her shaggy dog, Rug, live amidst tall trees on the outskirts of Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on Diane and her book, visit her websites at dianepomerantz.com and drdianepomerantz.com. Hi, Diane. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to talking with you. Can you tell us what Lost in the Reflecting Pool is about? Yes. It is a memoir, and it is the story about my marriage to a man who was interesting, a brilliant psychiatrist, charming, and a narcissist. Mm -hmm. It is about initially the good years, or what seemed like the good years, although there were some clues that I didn't pay attention to. Then after we had children and he was no longer sort of the central focus of my existence, things began to change. And when I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer, he became really abusive. Mm. So it's really a story about narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse. It's also a story about how we tend to not pay attention to things we see early on in relationships. I think we all do that. So that's sort of one of the major themes of the book. Yeah, it It sounds like it could be a novel, actually. A lot of people say it reads like a novel. Yeah, I imagine. So what made you decide to put your experiences into a book? Well, I started writing it initially when I was diagnosed with cancer and was going to write it as a book about my journey through the treatment of cancer. But then things really blew up in my marriage. So there was a real shift. And then we separated and divorced. I was raising two young kids. So I really couldn't do much with the book for many years. But initially, it was really a process. And it started out sort of as a cathartic process more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Nora Ephron's Heartburn around that time, and I thought that was a great way to get revenge, <laughs> <laughs> to write a book. Quite honestly, that really was 
you know, sort of the motivation. But as I moved along, I really found that I was processing a lot of issues Mm. through the writing process. And I felt that it was helpful for me and the issues were issues that I thought could be helpful for others. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like writing your memoir uh, was very healing. Can you talk about uh, some of what you went through while you were writing? Well, you know, it's very, what's fascinating to me is that the healing didn't stop with the finishing of writing the memoir. Mm. The healing has actually continued since even the publication. So much has come together about, in terms of the processing things, that, you know, it's funny how the unconscious works. Um, I mean, I am a psychologist, so I think in those terms. But, you know, I had started out writing it as a novel. I did start out writing it as a novel. And so I disguised everything. I have two children. I made my son twins. But one of the things I talk about in the book, or one of the things that happened when I made it a memoir is I went back to my son being a singleton, except that my son, I had IVF, and he started out as quads. And I had many miscarriages before his birth. So although he was a singleton, (laughs) he was the survivor. (laughs) Right. You know? So I thought when I wrote him as a twin, it was really as a disguise. Ah. But the reality was, I was really processing the loss of all of those lost pregnancies. Mm. And I didn't realize that. I really was not in touch with that until after I published the book. Oh, wow. And I really thought I did it as a disguise. But the thing that I did experience was how hard, when I switched it to a memoir, the hardest thing to change was giving up my twins. I, you know, I could change all the other details back into making it a memoir. Mm-hmm. But change, giving up my twins was the hardest thing to do. Wow. That was difficult. And one night, my son and daughter and I were out to dinner when I told them it was going to be a memoir. And I said to my son, so you're not a twin anymore. <laughs> and he said, you mean you killed my brother? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, funny. It was like a family mess. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. I, it was just really, uh, I mean... It's just very, very interesting. Yeah. So that's just one example of that. Yeah. It sounds like it was kind of healing for the whole family, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. What kind of response are you getting from readers? Most people say it's a page turner. They can't put it down, that it reads like a novel. Most of my reviews are four or five stars. Yeah. And I've gotten several 
you know, awards already. Nice. For the most part, people really like it. Although it's about emotional abuse, it really touches on many issues. I mean, it touches on infertility. It touches on relationships in general. It's really a woman's story. When I first started writing it, I sent the first four chapters to Jacqueline Machard, whom I always have admired for many reasons, the author of um, Deep End of the Ocean. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't expect to get a response from her. But she sent it back to those first few chapters, and this is when I first started it 20 years ago. Oh, wow. She sent it back to me within a couple of weeks, and what she said was, this is a wonderfully horrible story that all women can relate to. Mm. Something, I'm not sure about which way she said the wonderful and horrible. But what she was saying was that it was a woman's story that all women can relate to. It is a woman's story Mm -hmm. that, you know, it has adoption and it has infertility and it has... You know, it has positive things in it about the relationship. And it has, you know, being blindly in love. <laughs> yeah. So, Have you received any requests for help or things of that nature? Yes, I have gotten some of that. And in my practice, I have hearing through writing workshops. And I'm going to be starting to do um, some memoir writing. I haven't started that yet. So are these sessions, the healing through writing classes you provide, are they available to the public or are they limited to uh, your practice right now? I have not yet done that, although I am going to be starting to do that because I'm moving towards the writing now than a clinical, an actual clinical practice. Mm, That sounds interesting. How do you keep your uh, personal feelings in check when when working with patients on on their emotional healing? Uh, I'm just curious what kind of toll that kind of work takes on your own emotional well-being, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. You know, I think what you're always doing is sort of hovering, sort of really being there with the person and always taking an objective observer's stance. And, you know, it takes, I mean, that's part of the, (laughs) that's part of the training is being able to always do that and not put your own stuff into what the other person is experiencing. But certainly being able to, you know, what it has done, my own stuff, has made me be able to understand at a much deeper level, I think, what others go through. I mean, knowing what loss is like, knowing what, um, you know, trauma, what PTSD is like. I mean, when I was in the throes of what I was going through, it was really very difficult. And what happened for me was I had closed my practice because I had been ill. Mm -hmm. So 
when I then went back to work, I had a very small practice. And what I then did was took a job as a school psychologist, which was a very structure for a number of years. But that was very structured. That was very good for me because it was a different kind of work. Right. And then as as things settled down in my own life, I was able to then expand my private practice again. Okay. And did you expand your practice to include children, or had you been working with children all along? I always worked with children and adults. So children have always been part of my practice, um, children and families, parents. But I also have always worked with adults. Mm. Now, regarding your work with children, have you found that being a parent yourself has enhanced your skills as a therapist? And uh, if so, how? Absolutely. Now, I, I I often say that I thought I was a good therapist before I had kids. <laughs> but <laughs> once I had kids, I it was exponentially different. <laughs> Um, You know, I understood things I never would have understood. I mean, I remember I would sit and I'd be taking a history of from a parent about their child and they'd say, oh, I don't remember that or I don't remember this. And I think, how could you not remember? I wouldn't say that, but I think it. And then I had my own kids. (laughs) <laughs> I, remember, I see why they couldn't remember, <laughs> you know, what they did at this time or what they did at that time. I understood in such a different way. Yeah. <laughs> it just made that, you know, it, it was, you know, small things that I understood so differently or I understood differently what it felt like to be in Toys R Us and your kid is screaming because they want a toy. <laughs> You yeah. know, you just, it was a different experience. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, be listening and understanding what parents went through and what kids went through. So it has made a tremendous difference. And as a clinician who works with kids and works with parents, I really make use of sort of that notion that I don't sit here as sort of the perfect expert mm-hmm. who knows the perfect way and I'm going to tell you, you know, it's not so easy to be a parent. Right. And, yeah. and there's no such thing as perfect parenting. That's um, the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> And so it then becomes much easier to give ideas of strategies when parents don't feel like they're being judged because they feel like, you know, you have an alliance with them. Right. And I feel like, I mean, it's not that I'm just saying that, it's that I really believe that. So, yes, being a parent made a profound difference in the way I became a clinician. Yeah. They change us in so many ways, don't they? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But I wouldn't trade it, that's for sure. (laughs) No. I think it's a very important 
sort of developmental task that we go through. I think, you know, we negotiate many things that otherwise we don't negotiate in our own development. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specializing in talking with published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life experience as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. Always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcast, as well as MP3 download from your computer. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Diane Pomerantz, author of Lost in the Reflecting Pool. You can learn more about Diane and her book by visiting her websites at dianepomerantz.com and drdianepomerantz.com. I wanted to hear some of your thoughts about uh, forgiveness. How is forgiveness tied to healing, and why is it so hard to forgive? Well, you see, I think there's this culture or cultural phenomenon now where in order to heal, one has to forgive. And I think there's something that's really, I mean, I think it's good to forgive if you can, yeah. and if the situation is right, but I think that that notion of universal forgiveness doesn't really make sense. That isn't what forgiveness is. If we look back in the Bible, forgiveness really is a transactional experience It had to do with Debt. It had to do with, I'm going to do something for you, I'm going to forgive a debt. It has to do, it's a transaction, it's relational. And especially in abusive relationships, when someone is abusive to you, they're not really capable of having a mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think when we expect that the only way someone can heal is if they forgive. What we're really saying to them is, if you don't forgive, you're not going to heal. You're going to carry this burden forever. And it's really abusing them again. Yeah. I don't think that's fair because the other person has to be involved in the, in the process. My ex-husband essentially treated me and treats me as if I don't exist. Mm. I asked him many times, let's talk about what happened. And what he would say to me was, I'll tell you my point of view, but I don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm. (laughs) You know, what does that mean? (laughs) That doesn't sound fair. (laughs) That doesn't sound very reasonable. And um, so, you know, I'm really not angry at him anymore. I really don't wish him harm. I wish, in fact, 
we could have a relationship that was friendly. Yeah. But do I forgive him for the things he did which were horrendous? No, I don't. I'm not angry at him. But forgive? No. Because there's no communication. Even though we have children, there's no relationship. And I really believe it's abusive to say to people, you have to forgive in order to move on. I don't think that that's true. I have moved on. Yeah, I get that. And it's, I think it's a question, it's really an issue of semantics. How do we use the word forgiveness? You know, I think it's a matter of language. So that's what I think. I think as a culture, we've come to say, oh, but you have to forgive yourself. But that's not really forgiveness. You have to love yourself. You have to understand yourself. Those things, I think, are true. Mm-hmm. Those things are definitely true. And if possible, and you can work in conjunction with the other person, maybe you come to a point where there's forgiveness. Yeah. I hope I've taught my children that forgiving is good. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was another woman involved, and my daughter still thinks she's the worst person in the world. And I keep saying to her, you know, it really wasn't her fault. Right, right. I don't see it wasn't her fault. If it hadn't been her, it would have been somebody else. And yet, to her, that that person is evil. Oh, I get that, too. It's her mom and her dad. So, you know, this person's the Uh outsider. Right. It's hard. That's what I think of forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about human connectedness. As a society, do you feel like we're losing our ability to connect with each other? Like on anything like, oh, I guess deeper than a, you know, superficial social media type existence, I guess. Yes, I do. And I think with all the wonderful things that our technological advances have provided, I think that there are real changes in social connectedness. I think there really are becoming, and I think it's happening quickly, real evolutionary sort of, I I use this term sometimes, protoplasmic changes. I really do believe this. I think that neurologically, I think why is there more And as a child psychologist, I see this. Why do we see more of these developmental differences than we did? I mean, I see it all the time, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, Why? But I, I think it's because not only are the kids more exposed, but the parents are. I think they really are at a biological level. Now, changes in brain functioning, in neurochemical functioning that are being impacted. You know, and then there are many people who are more vulnerable to some, a lot of what we see going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like, I know every generation says, oh my gosh, kids these days, you know, 
but it really, so I can't, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and so now I'm going through that, or if there really is a significant change from any other generation. You know? I well, I have to say that having watched kids in my practice, I have, you know, I see the difference in the same age groups of children, and there is a significant difference. Mm. You know, there is a significant difference in the children that come to see me yeah. now than the ones that came to see me 20 years ago, 10 years ago, started to see the shift 10 years ago, and now it's even more so. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> it's very scary. Yeah. Very scary. It kind of leads into the acceptance of our lifestyle right now. Like we live in a very self-centered world. There's always been narcissists. There's always been narcissistic tendencies. Um, I know that. Mm -hmm. But are they just more prevalent in today's world because of technology? I think probably so because with lack of connectedness, People don't really have relationships, and so they don't develop empathy because they don't have genuine relationships where their functioning really impacts other people. Mm -hmm. It's all through the screen. Right. You know, you turn off the computer, and that's the end of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to circle back to your writing for a minute. Where do you see your writing career heading in the future? Do you do you have plans for another book? I'm starting to work on another book. It's actually a psychological thriller. It's Ooh. not a memoir. So yes, I am working on another book. I also want to do some, I and have been writing some, you know, articles on, you know, like we were just talking about, sort of the psychological aspects of current issues, like the school shootings and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you've got some interesting work ahead of you. How do you get started on a project? Like, what advice would you give to someone uh, wanting to write, say, uh, their personal memoir? How do you get started? You just start writing. Sometimes keeping a journal, sometimes keeping a dream journal. Sometimes I have people, when they don't want to write, draw a picture of a dream of the dream you had, because sometimes that frees someone up enough so that they're then open enough to start writing. A lot of times, people are very afraid that if they write about things, that it's going to overwhelm them. Yeah. And they're going to be triggered and just go crazy. A lot of people worry about that. And the reality is that that isn't going to happen. Mm. The reality and the research shows that if it's that overwhelming, it's just not going to come up. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it yeah. it comes up when it's ready for you to come up. Well, that makes sense. You know, you won't recognize it. It's sort of like 
what I was saying about the pregnancy. I could see it in a certain way until I was ready to see it in another way. Mm-hmm. And in my book, there's another part that was really the kernel of my whole marriage, which was my ex killing a cat. Oh, wow. And I start the book with that. Now, I started the book with that as a hook. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. I really started it as a hook. And this is another instance where it wasn't until after the book was published that I realized that it was that incident, which happened years before I got cancer, that really was the beginning for me of the end of the marriage. It was so traumatic for me that I completely repressed it. I completely forgot about it. Right. Completely. It wasn't, I didn't remember it until I was sick and he was being so sadistic. After I had published the book, that was when I realized that I started the book with what, in fact, was the end of the marriage for me. Huh. So what I'm saying is that when we think that something is going to overwhelm us, we remember it to the degree we can remember it. Yeah. So I say, just write. You're not going to write more than you're able to handle. I think oftentimes it's good to write and have some sort of support system. Get involved in a writing group or with a writing coach so that you have people to write with. You have to sort of search out a group that feels safe. Right, yeah. I mean, I remember starting in a writing group and somebody wound up saying to me, I think you ought to put it in a drawer and not take it out again. (laughs) About what I was writing. And I got up and I left. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have heard of doing that, like put it away for a little while, just to distance yourself a little bit. You know, this person was telling me it wasn't worth it. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, well, (laughs) time time to find a new group. Yeah, (laughs) It was time to find a new group. So you have to find a group that you feel is really safe. Yeah. So that's important. But. Once you find such a place or a writing coach, then I think it makes it much easier. One of the things that I did when I really got back to writing, I took, there's um, Story Circle is a women's writing group. It's online. Mm -hmm. But I took an independent, it's not expensive, but there's somebody on there that does independent study and I would send her what I wrote and she would write back to me, give me feedback. And I have to tell you, she was so supportive. I felt she was my muse. Oh, that's nice. And she just was the biggest support. And that was how I got back after I had already, you know, it was years after I had started it. 
But that was what got, helped me to get back into writing. Mm. Just And it was not expensive. It was like $200 a month. I mean, that is, can be a lot. But what I'm saying, for what she did for me, it was not a lot. It was worth it for you. So, yeah. yeah. For me, it was, it was worth it. Absolutely. Diane, I feel like we could talk for another hour or so, but we've got to cut it <laughs> off. <laughs> and I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been really enlightening. Me too. Thank you very much. This has been great. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Diane Pomerantz. To learn more about Diane and her book, Lost in the Reflecting Pool, visit her websites at dianepomerantz.com and drdianepomerantz.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at insidescooplive.com. <laughs> <laughs>